Good day to you. Hope you're having a wonderful day. We are reading in Paul's letter to the Philippians. This is Philippians. We have read chapter 1. And at the end of chapter 1, Paul is encouraging the congregation at Philippi to lead their lives in a worthy manner of the gospel of Christ, in other words, to live accordingly and to follow, you know, to follow Christ and to not be afraid or intimidated by their opponents, because they're, they were obviously having some um, persecution, it sounds like. How much, I'm not sure, but it sounds like they have some. And uh, just being told that, and he also reminds them that they, you know, they have the, the privilege uh, for Christ's sake, to you know, not only believe and confidently trust in Him, but also to suffer for Him, and experiencing the same kind of conflict that they saw Paul go through, where Paul was jailed when he was in Philippi. So, you know, so he's he's encouraging them to stay the path, basically, and to understand that, uh, you know, just as it's just as it's said many places in the New Testament that there will be you know, persecutions for Christians that uh, some will not, will just not appreciate or, or want to tolerate the, the word of God coming through Christ or coming through us about Christ. So we're ready for chapter 2, Philippians 2, and Paul picks up from there and he says, Therefore, if there is any encouragement and comfort in Christ, as there certainly is in abundance, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship that we share in the Spirit, if there is any great depth of affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, having the same love toward one another, knit together in spirit, intent on one purpose, and living a life that reflects your faith and spreads the gospel the good news regarding salvation through faith in Christ. Now again I am reading through reading from the Amplified Bible. But here Paul is encouraging them to think of the comfort in Christ. He's saying it in a particular way, but he's encouraging them to think of the comfort in Christ and of the fellowship that they share and of the love of God that they have. Let's read on with verse 3. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit through factional motives or strife, but with an attitude of humility, being neither arrogant nor self-righteous. Regard others as more important than yourselves. That's one of those things where, where uh, you see in, in uh, Scripture where it says to be subject to one another. We should regard others as more important than ourselves. That's just the way it is. So in verse 5, Have the same attitude in yourselves which was in Christ Jesus. Look to him as your example in selfless humility. Now Paul is pointing them to definitely look at, I mean you notice here he's exhorting them to um, do, do things not from selfishness or conceit, but from humility and love and regard for others, you know, regarding others is more important, trying to help them and be a benefit to them. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. 
And that is that godly kind of love where we we look to do good and help others and help further them. And I know that may not always be a possibility, but we do that as much as we can. Um, and have the same attitude in yourselves, which was in Christ. And we're going to continue on from here, but he's going to point to the example of Christ that we should follow that. So have this same attitude in yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus. Look to him as your example in selfless humility, who although he existed in the form and unchanging essence of God, as one with him, possessing the fullness of the divine attributes, the entire nature of deity, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped or asserted, as if he did not already possess it, or was afraid of losing it, but emptied himself, without renouncing or diminishing his deity, but only temporarily giving up the outward expression of divine equality and his rightful dignity, by assuming the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, he became completely human, but was without sin, being fully God and fully man. And here we're talking about our Lord humbled himself and brought himself down to be a man. You know, our God humbled himself and came down in the form of a man. The word of God, he he took on the form of being a man. He was born as a child and was raised by parents. I mean, you think about this, this sounds extremely weird, but it's it's what he went through in humility and then served, served us, served the people. You know, and I'm going to say us, I know that specifically he was, you know, in Israel and, and serving the Jews, but he also did things for other Gentiles, actually, that believed. And uh, he, uh, but he came as a servant and he served and then gave himself completely as an example for us. And that's what Paul is referring to is following his example, God, Jesus' example, God's, God's example, because Jesus was God in the flesh. So that's the example we should be following. So we'll continue on, verse 8. After he was found in terms of his outward appearance as a man for a divinely appointed time, he humbled himself still further by becoming obedient to the Father to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, also because he obeyed and so completely humbled himself, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, in submission, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess and openly acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, Sovereign God, to the glory of God the Father. So here, Paul is explaining that, you know, Jesus has, because of what he, what he did, because he died on the cross and he defeated, basically, defeated Satan's plans and, and, and wrested power from Satan and death. And everything has been put, you know, God the Father has put everything under Jesus' authority. Again, and every t 
tongue will confess and openly acknowledge that Jesus is Lord, and that will happen. Um, that will happen down towards at the end times when Jesus returns. So, uh, verse 12. So then, my dear ones, just as you have always obeyed my instructions with enthusiasm, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation. That is, cultivate it, bring it to full effect, actively pursue spiritual maturity with all inspired fear and trembling, using serious caution and critical self-evaluation to avoid anything that might offend God or discredit the name of Christ. So here he's encouraging them to continue, because our salvation, in this sense, we're working out our salvation daily. We're constantly trying to get rid of the old man, the old practices, the old, the old thoughts even. You know, the old, <clears throat> the old us, that worldly part of us. Even, even if you've been a Christian for years, it's still a daily practice that you're trying to get rid of um, some of these faults from your, your worldliness, your just humanness, your, you know, just being a person. We're not perfect people. We make mistakes, and uh, and we have flaws, and we have weaknesses. So every day we're constantly working out our salvation, and that's where I say, you know, <clears throat> every day as a Christian is like, you know, we 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 get up, we we pray, we try to follow, um, try to follow Jesus, and try to do the right things, and then we mess up, we make mistakes, we repent. We repent and ask for forgiveness, and then we start over again the next day, and it's basically the same thing. And that's how we should be doing is like we, you know, we get up, we uh, we pray, we thank God, we we uh, study study the Word, the Bible, we uh, <clears throat> we go about our business, maybe we work our job, we do whatever we need to do, and uh, then at the end of the day, we say, you know, forgive us for the things we've done wrong because we've all made mistakes if we say we have not sinned we are you know we're lying and we'll get to that that's actually in an epistle um is that in james or john but nonetheless we'll get there and um um either way uh we're going to uh you know we need to go through this routine every day so that uh we can you know continually work out our salvation and cleanse ourselves from uh, our wrongdoing and it's just a daily it's just a daily thing and it's not a bad thing because uh, you know unless we're purposefully continually purposely doing things and walking away from God then that's that is a bad thing but um, there are I, I'm just saying that that we work these things out daily it's a daily thing and that's what that's what Paul is referring to working out your salvation um, trying to understand, you know, back then they didn't have, like, we actually have it easier. We have the Bible. We can sit down and read the Bible and know what God wants wants of us. And so it should be easier for us to follow those instructions. We also have probably a lot more temptations, though, and a lot more uh, bad things are available. So there's a trade-off. On the one hand, we have the Bible, which is a lot better, 
And, and back then, they didn't necessarily have their own personal copy of the scriptures to carry around. And um, <clears throat> But we have a lot more temptations and a lot more things available to us that they did not have. So it is a trade-off. But still, we're to work out our salvation daily, work on ourselves, you know, studying God's word and praying to God and being actively pursuing <clears throat> spiritual things, actively pursuing God, seeking the kingdom. That's the whole idea. So <clears throat> continuing on in verse 13, for it is not your strength, but it is God who is effectively at work in you both to will and to work, that is, strengthening, energizing, and creating in you the longing and the ability to fulfill your purpose for his good pleasure. So that God has given us both the will and, you know, God who is effectively working you both to will and to work, you know, he's given us the, 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 will, the will and the desire to, to seek him more. The more you the more you seek God, the more you want to seek God. It's it's a it's a building it's a building thing. The more you follow Jesus and follow God, the more you want to follow Jesus and follow God. It just it just builds. And so you God, you know, is effectively at work in you, building this, helping you to become better and improving and, and building this desire to continue that. Verse fourteen. Do everything without murmuring or questioning the providence of God, so that you may prove yourselves to be blameless and guileless, innocent and uncontaminated children of God, without blemish in the midst of a morally crooked and spiritually perverted generation, among whom you are seen as bright lights, beacons, shining out clearly in the world of darkness, holding out and suffering to everyone in the world. No, I'm sorry, hold on. This is one of those long sentences that is getting me, so hold on just a minute. All right. <clears throat> so I'm going to start back over at verse 14. Do everything without murmuring or questioning the providence of God, so that you may prove yourselves to be blameless and guileless, innocent and uncontaminated children of God without blemish in the midst of a morally crooked and spiritually perverted generation among whom you are seen as bright lights, beacons shining out clearly in the world of darkness, holding out and suffering to everyone the word of life. No, I'm saying suffering, that's my problem. Verse 16, holding out and offering to everyone the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to rejoice greatly, because I did not run my race in vain, nor labor without result. In other words, he wants them to continue, you know, we don't need to be murmuring or questioning, you know, the providence of God, you know, like complaining and, and grumping. You know how, you know, how the Israelites, you know, would be like, oh, why are we still in the desert? Oh, why do we have to eat this manna? You know, instead of complaining, <laughs> you know, I mean, they had manna. They had food that God provided so that they could survive. You know, rather than starve to death, and yet they complained. So, you know, let's not be murmuring or questioning things like that of that nature. Um, yeah, we all do have questions, and there's not, it's not to say that you can't, you know, wonder about certain things. There are things that are not, 
specifically mentioned in the Bible. There are things that we could wonder about that um, hopefully we will get to ask God and find out about those things. But it's you know it's nothing to murmur or or question you know like we shouldn't question the goodness of God and the blessings that we receive from Him. Um, because we do receive so many good things and so many, so many blessings. You know, we can't question his goodness and his, his righteousness and his, because he is. Now, you may question certain things. Why do certain things happen? Why are things this way? And you may not understand. You may never understand. Or, as you continue your study of the Bible, you may find that you come to understand those things. A lot of the harm and bad things in the world that we see that people want to blame on God, they're actually our own fault because, see, he has given us free will and he has given us all these things and all these blessings to use or abuse. Notice I said use or abuse. He's given them to us. What we do with them is up to us. So a lot of the bad, horrible things we see are our own fault. Now there are things that are not and I have no answer for some of those and I'm not going to claim I do. Um, I believe God does have the answer and we will I think in time, in due time when we get there we will be able to find out or we will be able to understand. Nonetheless, so he is encouraging us not to do that, not to grumble and murmur against God and his blessings but uh, we should be, you know, blameless and guileless. We should be innocent and uncontaminated children of God in the midst of morally crooked and perverse, you know, in the world. While we're living here on this earth and in this world, we need to be, you know, we still need to be the children of God. We still need to be without blemish in the midst of all the perversion and the corruptness corruption and all of that. We need to be those lights of uh, morality, those lights of God's love shining out of the darkness. And that does include being moral and, and, and holding to God's standards. And also offering the word of life to everyone. We need to be offering the word of God, the, the gospel, the news of Jesus to everyone. If they are interested, if they would like to talk about that, we need to be able and willing to talk about that and share. Even if even if all we know is John 3.16, I would say 16 and 17. But if you just know even John 3.16, which most people do, you could, you know, just start there. That's, that's a great place to start. Um, you can always share something. So, and then he says... Um, so that in the day of Christ, at the end time, he will be able to rejoice because they will have proven, you know, they will be a, what would you say, a fruit. They will be a product of his work, of his labor, and that his labor will not have been in vain because these people will be good Christians and they will be saved. So, so let's move on with verse 17. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith for preaching the message of salvation, still I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. 
So here he's talking about if I'm being poured out as a drink offering. Now a drink offering was an old, um, it was an old uh, ritual that they did, and I am not extremely familiar with it. But it was a part of the old covenant, and it was a part of the sacrifice that they made. It was a drink offering. So, so he's saying that even if I am being poured out as a drink offering, like his life, he's offering his life. Um, for, you know, the preaching of the gospel, the message of salvation, and, and for a service to their faith to help them, you know, then he, re, he will rejoice and share his joy with them. All right, so we're going to move on to verse 19. Um, but I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I may also be encouraged by learning news about you. So he sent in this letter, and I think, I guess, if I'm understanding this right, Timothy is probably going to bring this letter to them. <clears throat> and he, there's a, there's a little bit of talk here about Timothy, Timothy, <clears throat> excuse me, and Epa, Epaphroditus. That's how I'm going to say this person's name. Now I'm not very good with these names, and I admit that. So just bear with me. It's Epaphroditus. I think is the name. That's as close as I'm going to get anyway. So, um, all right. For I have no one else like him. He is referring to Timothy again. For I have no one else like him who is so kindred a spirit, who will be genuinely concerned for your spiritual welfare. For the others who deserted me after my arrest all seek to advance their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. So some of Paul's followers obviously deserted him after he was arrested. It's not... A hard, I mean, unfortunately, it's not that uncommon that if, you know, if something bad happens to you, people who trusted you kind of fall away. You know, not everyone, though. It sounds like some, some left Paul's service, you know, but not all. Um, and, and he doesn't say that they all left and they all became, you know, seeking their own advance, but... Uh, but he's talking about some who, who did. But you know of Timothy's tested worth and his proven character that he has served with me to advance the gospel like a son serving with his father. Therefore, I hope that it is his will, and that's God's will, to send him immediately just as soon as I see how my case turns out. Now, he's talking about his case or how things go with him. Um, this was written... This letter was written when he was in, uh, being kind of basically in house arrest, you know, at uh, in Rome, and so he thinks, you know, I guess at this point in time he thinks that his case is going to um, come out, that his case is going to be found out or resolved, and that that's what he's waiting for or what he's referring to. So just as soon as I see how my case turns out or how things go with me. And I trust confidently, confidently in the Lord that soon I will also be coming to you. However, I thought it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, who has been my brother and companion and fellow soldier, who was also sent as your messenger to take care of my needs. So they sent Epaphroditus to Paul. 
probably with some says with it to take care of his needs probably with some gift of uh, or offering who knows something to help him out for he has been longing for all of you and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick he certainly was sick and close to death but god had mercy on him and not only on him but also on me so that i would not have sorrow upon sorrow so i have sent him all the more eagerly so that when you see him again you may rejoice and i may be less concerned about you welcome him home in the lord with great joy and appreciate and honor men like him because he came close to death for the work of christ risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me and which distance prevented you from rendering personally meaning you know he risked his life to bring something to paul you know that due to their distance of course they could not have given paul or gotten to paul so he was their messenger or their deliverer um, in that he brought well i said that no i guess delivery person i should say in that he delivered something to paul for them i should say yeah he was their delivery person so so he sent him both effort epaphroditus and timothy to them sending them together and you should you know use the buddy system as much as possible that's something i believe in it's for safety you know if you have two or three people you can send together they can watch out for each other do you notice even paul does that here he's like ah, we're going to send timothy and epaphroditus you know so um and that's it for uh, chapter two in philippians paul is just explaining that he's going to send those two men to them uh the one is their delivery person he's sending back to them and timothy so that he may find out more about them and also because timothy has been you know basically been great working with paul and he knows that he will be able to you know help them in anything they might need he's saying you know of timothy's tested worth and his proven character so anyway um like i said that is the end of chapter two in philippians primarily the main things that he's encouraging is that we follow uh, we follow the example of Jesus, that we have humility and love, and that we serve, you know, serve one another and put others' interests ahead of our own. So that's, you know, that is the very skinny version, okay? <laughs> so bear with me on that, but that is, that's the very short version of Philippians chapter 2. So I want to thank you for listening. Hope you have a wonderful day. God bless you and keep you, and remember that God loves you.